Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. When someone dies, we have that person's papers and things to look at and use to understand and create memories about the life of the person that left us. Sometimes, however, the person stays and the papers and tokens are lost, such as in a fire. Then we have only memories without material objects to help enhance them. This juxtaposition is one of the themes in a novel entitled The Metaphysical Touch by Sylvia Brownrigg, an American author with roots in Mendocino County, California, long life experience in London, England, and currently lives near San Francisco, California. The story of losing everything of material value originates with the 1991 fire in the hills of Oakland, California. When Sylvia Brownrigg visited the studios of Radio Curious in January of 2000, we discussed what happens when people must make a new beginning. interested in what happens when people have to make new beginnings of whatever sort, um, whether it's reconstructing their own lives after a traumatic change or loss, um, or well, a loss of whichever sort, whether it's a material loss or the loss of a, of a person, a friend or a loved one. The situation in the novel is, uh, as you sort of set up, is that I has lost everything in the fire in Berkeley, and I was interested in, in finding out what happened to somebody when they were rebuilding from from sort of ground zero. Um, so this event is based on an experience of a friend of yours. No, it isn't. It, it isn't directly. I um, it was drawn mostly from my imagination. I I knew people who. I had acquaintances of acquaintances who lost things in the fire, but I wasn't close to anybody who actually lost everything in that fire. In retrospect, I've realized that I had recently moved to London when I started writing this book, and I think for me that was a new beginning of a sort that gives me a kind of connection to Pi, even though it's for completely different reasons. Um, but my, I think it was just the situation, such a radical situation of having to start over that that sparked my imagination and made me want to tell that story about her. Tell us a little bit about Pi, one of the main principal characters in um, The Metaphysical Touch. Well, she's a philosopher. Um, she's a philosophy graduate student at UC Berkeley, and she's someone who has mostly related to the world through her thinking and her reading, and ha is less has been less connected to the world through loving and through her personal relations, although she has friends and has had lovers. Um, and I, this situation of radically losing everything at once, all of her books and all of her writings, sets up a, a journey for her in which she discovers other ways of connecting with the world um, and with people. What does she discover? <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> it's a complicated story. It took me many pages to, to tell, but I think she discovers more of the material and sensual world than she had known before. And I think she 
learns how to come out of herself more than she had before. I think she lived, she found, she finds her own intellectual life very safe and where she feels most at home. And in some ways, the course of the story takes her to other ways of connecting with people, including her this correspondence with with JD, and and that's how she begins to find other ways of of communicating. How does she connect up with JD? He's a man who lives on the East Coast. That's right. He he lives on the East Coast, and he is, in some ways, a, a would-be writer or a frustrated writer. And he has recently lost his job, so he has been writing a story of his life, an account of his urban life, and posting it on the internet. And that's in the form of something he calls his diary. And he's been posting it on a chat room and has um, attracted a sort of minor cult of readers of this of his of his diary. And Pi, in her internet explorations um, discovers the diary and starts reading reading it and intrigued by him she tries to find a way to write to him and eventually they she does find a way of writing to him and so they strike up a, a correspondence and some of those correspondences you set forth in your book as as the material yes that's in many ways I think of their the, the email letters between them as being the heart of the book they they both are people who have retreated from the world for different kinds of reasons and their correspondence draws them out of themselves and gives them a way of beginning to come to um, communicate what they're really feeling and and so the correspondence between them um, it makes them discover things about themselves I'm interested in this concept of email correspondence and uh, the bearing or sharing of one's soul yeah. with the anonymous uh, <laughs> cyberspace. Right, right. Do you yeah. have experience with that? Well, my own experience of email and the internet is mostly through sending emails to people I already know, close friends of mine. I, I live in England and have for about the last five years, and so I'm far away from many of my close friends and loved ones and family. So when email became a way of connecting with people, it was something I really valued and sort of left on because it meant that I could sustain relations with people who were far away. And so that's been primarily my relation to it. I, I initially, when I was starting this story and knew that this was, we got the idea of this storyline, I did do a little bit of investigating into chat rooms and literary discussion groups, which is it's the sort that JD is posting his diary on. So I did enough of that so I would know what the what that milieu was like and that I could write a story that would make sense. Um, I have only r- rarely actually started writing to people I don't know at all. Um, I've mostly used email to, to bolster relations that I already have. Um, well, what about these chat rooms? <laughs> Are you familiar with how they work and... A little, a little. The ones that I know about um, that that sort of feature in this story were more a little bit earlier on when the when the internet was still a little bit younger. Were more sort of discussion groups where people would post thoughts to each other and maybe strike up little private correspondences out of those, but not so much being online and saying, "Hi, I'm here right now. Where are you? What are you doing?" I haven't actually done any of that. but in a sense, your book goes back and forth with emails. It doesn't go back and forth with the chats. The, that's right. The, that's right. Um, yeah. Same moment chats. No, that's right. I mean, what 
this story is in many ways is a is a is a contemporary version of the epistolary novel. I mean, they really are writing they're writing letters to each other. So many many people send emails that are very short and telegraphic and do use it more as a especially when they're when they're live online at that moment. They use it more as a way of talking almost like on the phone but in a more anonymous setting. With JD and Pi, they their correspondence is more like writing letters to each other. So they're 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 not they're not there describing their momentary environment to each other. They're they're sort of slowly opening up to each other over the course of I don't know, a month or a couple of months. So who are these people <laughs> as they open up? Share share your friends with us. <laughs> yeah, they are people I got to know fairly well over over the years. Um, she well, I've described her a little bit to you. Um, she's um, as I say, somebody who who is quite affectionate with her friends, but has in some ways lived in this slightly sheltered way because of her um, in in her intellectual life. And JD is somebody who's very sardonic and has a kind of wry sense of humor and a, a transplanted New Yorker. He's from Los Angeles originally. And and um, he's also had a hard time with relationships. His, his close relationships tend to be with friends. He has a good pal who's in the theater and another close female friend and his sister he's close to. And so he has a group of people around him, but he also has found it difficult to have a lasting love with somebody um, and and but he's, he's quite funny and ironic about his own situation I think he's pretty insightful about his situation possibly more than Pi is I think Pi learns more about herself in writing to him and then he discovers a few key truths from her so it is a it's an exchange um, in that way and then they meet and then <laughs> the story takes a turn which is a kind of key plot twist which I I'm reluctant to talk about because it's <laughs> it's hidden it's, in the book. It's hidden in the book, and um, and it's it's got its own resonant meaning, which it's it's not right to give away. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, suffice it to say, he he one of the things he begins to learn through her um, is that he also needs to recapture his life and his his desire to live because when he first starts posting his the his diary he's actually flirting sort of with suicidal thoughts he's in a pretty deep depression and he's very ironic about it but it's clearly a real state that he's in and she the correspondence between them helps him to f feel that he can start again and he also at a certain point decides that perhaps unplugging from the from their correspondence and from the internet altogether will be a good way to come back into the world, and at that point she is actually really desperate to meet him and to see him face to face and actually see who is this person behind the writing, and so they end up moving towards the same geography, which is Los Angeles, um, and that's <laughs> all I can say plot wise. Yes. Let me take a moment and say that we're talking with Sylvia Brownrigg the author of a new book called The Metaphysical Touch. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Sylvia, a large portion of the book uh, takes place in Mendocino County. That's right. In the community of Mendocino. That's right. Right after uh, Pi, or mm -hmm. Piper, mm -hmm. um, loses everything. Right. 
Where did you get your um, ability to describe what the life is like in uh, this rural north coast of the United States, northwest coast? Right. Well, I'm a native Californian, although, as I say, I live in England now, but I'm from the Bay Area, and so that's the area I I grew up in. But my my father lives in the uh, hills between Mendocino and Ukiah in Mendocino County. So since I was a pretty young child, I've been coming to the to the sort of woods, basically, up in Northern California. And from there, from my father's home, we would make excursions to Mendocino quite often to the coast, and also to Fort Bragg. Um, and so I knew Mendocino. I've known Mendocino for quite a long time as a as a visitor. I mean, I've never lived there as Pi does, um, but it always seemed to me. I think it always seemed to me a good place to go if you needed to retreat from the world for a while. So perhaps through Pi, I, I managed to live out this fantasy of spending a few months or half a year in Mendocino and and being by the by that beautiful coastline and enjoying it. That you know, it's obviously a very beautiful setting and it's a beautiful town. What I'm picking up from your book and your story is the theme of uh, people needing friendship, Mm -hmm. needing the opportunity uh, uh, to delve into the soul of another and to share their own soul, yet at the same time retreat and withdraw and be alone. Yes. I suppose my personal view is that you need a balance of those two states in your your life, and um, I'm probably more familiar in some ways with the, well, I, I, I enjoy retreating, and then I enjoy being kind of taken out of that sort of state of withdrawal and, and connecting up with other people. In, in my own life, connecting with other people is very important all the time, I, and I do reach out to people, and then I suppose I take time away to come back into myself. And I was, I think at certain points in life, especially if you have gone through a devastating loss, that can be a time where... Uh, one's tendency is to just wrap wrap oneself up and, and hide and I wanted to take two people who were choosing that strategy to cope with loss and and show how actually other people are, are how you come out of that that state, that bleak sort of state um, Have you coped with a devastating loss? Um, nothing exactly parallel to what Pi has gone through I mean I've had Relationships end, which I think can sometimes feel like you've, you've just lost everything in the fire or been hit by a hurricane or whatever. Um, so, and and when I moved to England, I had recently broken away from somebody, and so that it was something like a, a starting from scratch. That's sort of how it felt to me. Also, because I had to move all of my my things, so um, and lost some in transit. But I haven't, and I and I have gone through periods of, of depression that are not unlike J.D.'s, um, perhaps. So I think I was also, through his character, finding a way of writing about that state. And I've often been quite close to people who have um, had very serious bouts of depression. So, When um, your characters move uh, to a new situation, mm-hmm. or you yourself move to a new situation when mm-hmm. you ended a relationship and moved to England. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people just draw a line and step over it. Right. Uh, you drew the Atlantic Ocean and <laughs> flew over it. Right. right. It was a big line. <laughs> That's um, right. What I'm wondering about is how, in retrospect, 
you look back at your experiences and evaluate them and draw the best from them mm. so that you can then move on with the rest of your life. Yeah, I think in some ways one of the advantages I feel in being a writer is that you have this form, or any kind of creative work, you have a form for trying to, to draw together these elements in your life and create something out of them and, and create something kind of whole out of a narrative which maybe doesn't always feel that complete as you're living it. Um, so I think I do use my own writing to to draw these disparate elements of my life together. And for instance, uh, uh, this book is set in the United States, even though the entire time I was writing it, I was living in living in England. Um, I think some people perhaps do more of the burning their bridges or cutting their losses, and I don't personally believe in that, or I believe in trying to hold on to these different elements of your life. Um, even as you're rebuilding and moving on and shaping new directions for yourself. So, In the beginning of part four of your book, you ask a, a very intriguing question on the first line, and I wanted to ask you that same question. Mm -hmm. And it is, what would the world look like if we couldn't see it? That's right. Um, that's a line that's that's quoted at the beginning of that section, which is a line from a philosophy paper that Pi once wrote. And as I say, she's lost all of her writings in the fire, but, she, but occasionally fragments of her of her previous thought come through to her. And this was a paper. It describes it in this uh, slightly. It's a paper she wrote about how much of the world we construct through our own imagining of it or our own assumptions of what the world will be like so that we we have an idea that 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 the world we live in is one we see and touch and you know taste all the time and that actually Which you can do if you're blind yes <laughs> not see oh, but you yes. can touch and taste that's right, and feel that's right that's right well right if somebody is is robbed of one particular sense they are they are constructing the world in a very different way than than most of us normally do and that's and that's what so, i'm asking that's, well, that's what i'm asking oh, I see. When, okay. When, okay. what it would look like if we, we couldn't, couldn't see it. the the okay the the question as she asks it is partly to um, point towards the fact that we imagine our world in so many ways or we 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 that is we invent it out of things we know or suspect or have experienced in the past and because one of the themes of the novel is the way an internet connection is and is not like a, a normal way of relating to people, that, that, that's partly why that question comes up then, because she has, in many ways, created this person, J.D., out of his words, out of his language. She actually has, knows nothing about what he looks like or what he you know, seems like physically, and so she's, she's kind of creating him. And I'm interested in how much of an element of relationships that often is that we're slightly you know projecting is one way of putting it or we're sort of creating or inventing the, the people that we are relating to so the visual aspect of that was in a way not so crucial to the way she asked that question but I'd like you to tell us about that and, and what you've thought about about how relationships uh, create when we can't see them but first I want to say that this week I'm talking with Sylvia Brownrigg, the author of a new book called The Metaphysical Touch, and you're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Sylvia, what are your thoughts on how we develop concepts of things that we can't see? Well, I suppose 
as as a writer, I'm often interested in 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 imagining new worlds. And I and something that I think is interesting about the internet and about email is that more more and more people who are not writers, just ordinary people, are doing that as well. They're 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 reaching out to people they haven't met, which is an act of faith in a certain way that 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 interests me. And you know, there's a lot of discussion about the global village and how technology is shrinking the world. Um, but in some ways, it's, um, that technology still requires us to be quite imaginative and inventive, and that that's interesting to me. Um, as I say, you know, people f do frequently now have this experience of corresponding with people they haven't seen. You, know, you don't know what somebody's face is like, you can't read their expressions, but you, you begin to really develop a sense of who they are, which often seems very powerful and attractive and appealing, even in ways that, that uh, are different from the conventional ways. You know. um, Yet it's one step um, removed from what we're doing now on radio. Yes. Our listeners can hear our voices right. and hear the inflection. That's right. But when you see the words either showing up on the screen in a chat room That's right. or reading them uh, if you open your email, mm -hmm. you don't get the grin, you don't get the twinkle no, in the eye. No, that's right, right. Or the laugh and the voice. There's a moment when, when Pi is thinking about, she's heading to Los Angeles where she may be meeting JD and she's thinking about what it would be like to see this person physically who's, whose voice she feels she knows, whose written voice she knows so well. But, but and, and she makes the comparison of radio, the, the, what, what it's like when you hear a radio announcer who you know so well and you know their voice and you've, you've invented a face for them and then you see their photograph and think, oh. Who is that <laughs> but, person? But he, was, he obviously had dark hair. <laughs> you know? And I don't know anybody who, I've certainly had that experience listening to, to radio and then seeing the personalities. So um, I think... I mean, I think um, it's hard to get those kinds of inflections in print. The way you know somebody in print is obviously very different from how you how you talk to them if you're speaking to them. But um, I want to ask you about Pi's sexuality. Mm -hmm. She um, became lovers with a woman. That's right. <laughs> there was a jump there. She's. Or she, was there a jump? <laughs> well, she's had um, experiences with men and with women, and there's a little bit of that history drawn in the book. I think that although Pi has had experiences with men and with women, I think she has felt that she hasn't connected deeply with either yet. So she's she's quite fluid in her own sexuality um, in terms of who she has been lovers with. But I think she feels that some central part of her has not really opened up and that that's what she ends up finding with JD or potentially finding with JD. She sees a possibility in the the meeting of like minds, which which might or might not, depending on how the story turns out, <laughs> turn into a meeting of like souls, you know, when they actually meet. Do you find that um, the personal introspection that uh, many people have with regard to meeting of like souls, bodies, or minds, mm -hmm. is in more depth now than it has been in the past? Hmm. Uh, taking your experience as uh, a student of philosophy at Yale, hmm. uh, a younger person living in California, mm -hmm. an adult living in England, mm -hmm. seeing very different views of the world? In terms of how people, or what people are looking for in relating to other people, or? 
more in terms of what people are finding as a result of their uh, relationship, either finding in themselves or finding in another relationship. Right. Well, it's it's interesting to me because I have this experience of these two very different cultures, and I, I have had it since I was young because of having grown up partly in England and partly in California. And the two cultures have very different ideas of, of what it is to to converse with somebody else or relate to somebody else. They have very different mores about that and different ideas about that. And there is a part of me that's, that's really a, a, a Californian in my sense of self-exploration and, and, and I think a certain degree of introversion or, or self-examination, which is always, I think, seen as part of the Californian culture. And England is, of course, stereotypically the opposite, and people don't ever want to talk about themselves. And, you know, if we could just talk about the weather for an hour, that would be a good thing. So um, it's odd that I, in some ways, that I live in that culture with this other sort of direction that's also very much in me. But um, I don't know how that's necessarily changed over time. Um, as I say, I think that 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 drive to understand yourself is one that's part of Californian culture on the whole. I mean, again, in a slightly stereotyped way, but I do think people are more interested in those kinds of self-explorations here, um, certainly than anyone. Well, Sylvia Brownrigg, uh, tell us about your plans. <laughs> what are you working on now? I'm working on a new novel. Um, I'm about halfway through a very rough draft of a new book. Um, I have a book of short stories called Ten Women Who Shook the World, which is actually going to be coming out here next. It's going to be published here in the spring. It was already published in in Britain. So that will be my next uh, publication here. And those are quite different from the novel in that they're quite um, they're quite surreal and kind of wild and, and comic as the novel is, but in a different kind of way. Um, the new novel that I'm working on is actually set in, in England um, and draws on certain stylistic elements from both the stories and the novel. Um, but it's, it's an early enough stage that I find it hard to talk very much about the story. And so, um, it's tentatively called Neil and Jack and Me. Well, Sylvia Brownrigg, I want to thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. Thank you very much. Before we close, I want to ask you the question that I ask all of my guests, and that is, could you tell us of an interesting book that you've read lately? Well, I've thought about it, and I'm halfway through a book which I'm enjoying very much by uh, an English writer called Jeff Dyer, and he wrote a book called Out of Sheer Rage, which is partly about D.H. Lawrence and partly about his own travels around um, while trying to write about D.H. Lawrence. And it's quite, it's very funny about his own attempts to write and his going back and forth between trying to write a novel and trying to write this formal study. And instead what he ended up with is this book, which is something of a hybrid. And I'm interested in people who, who can take on different kinds of forms for their writing. And, and, he, and he is very funny. and. Um, and irreverent in a way that I like. So that's what I've been enjoying lately. <laughs> Sylvia Brownway, thank you for being with us on Radio Curious. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Sylvia Brownrigg is the author of The Metaphysical Touch. At Radio Curious, we appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and certainly enjoy hearing from you. 
There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.